sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friend. This is going to be part two in a discussion about the new restrictive abortion laws that have been passed in a number of states and how abortion is now on the leading edge of the culture wars. Our guest again is my friend and colleague, Amira Al-Haddad, who serves as the Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the southern United States. Amira, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you. So where we left off our discussion, we were starting to look at the history of the reaction to the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade. And just as a recap, you made the observation that Southern Baptists and a number of other Protestant groups initially were very supportive. They applauded the court's decision and um, that they were uh, wooed into kind of a political alliance with the Roman Catholics by uh, Catholic political operatives. So why don't you pick up the story there? Yeah, we probably need to recap and, and just kind of say that we're talking about something that is a terrible thing. Abortion is not a good thing. And I think that we need to say that because we're also going to be talking about other options on abortion that not everyone is talking about in a way that very few people have talked about it. And I think it's important. But I do want to say that for my part, I believe that abortion is a terrible thing. Um, here's what happened after the 1973 Roe v. Wade opinion came out that legalized abortion. So in 1971, Randall Balmer, who is a professor at Dartmouth University, has done a couple of books on evangelicals. And he's done a lot of research on evangelicals and evangelicals' approach to political issues, especially issues that we've been dealing with over the last our contemporary period. In 1971, before the Roe v. Wade decision came out, the delegates to the Southern Baptist Convention passed a resolution that actually encouraged Southern Baptists to work for legislation that would allow the possibility of an abortion under some very clear, definable issues, such as rape and incest and where there were fetal deformities or emotional damage might happen, those kinds of issues. So Southern Baptists, the 1970s, were very much in favor of allowing for abortions to happen under these conditions. And then, and, and I would when, say that most Protestants are pretty much in the same place in terms of, you know, abortion being morally wrong in all but those limited circumstances. And certainly Seventh-day Adventists are in the same place as well. Well, I'm not so sure I would agree with you. I've had 
a lot of conservative Christians who are Protestant, and I will say specifically Seventh-day Adventists, approaching me over the last year or so, bringing up the issue of abortion, and they were totally opposed to it, no matter what they were opposed Even to Even in it. cases of rape or... Well, okay, so officially... Whatever denominations have spoken, I think, you know, my comment goes to, but you're in the Bible belt, and given the laws that we've been discussing, it's no wonder that there are a lot of support for an absolute ban. The governor of Mississippi, um, Mike Parson, I think, uh, he said that he would not stop working until abortion was totally abolished in this country. Now, maybe that was hyperbole on his part, because was he talking about rape and incest? Was he talking about life of the mother in jeopardy? Those kinds of issues. Um, you know, he just made a blanket statement. But a lot of Christians are making this same blanket statement, and it's quite different from the attitude that Protestant, at least Baptist, took in the early 1970s. Um in 73, after the Roe versus Wade decision was handed down, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, W.A. Criswell, he said, and I'm going to quote what he said, I have always felt that it was only after a child was born and had a life separate from its mother that it became an individual person. And it has always, therefore, seemed to me that what is best for the mother and for the future should be allowed. Now, that's very different than what Southern Baptists are saying now in this Alabama bill that recognizes that a, a child is kind of a person even before they're born. So this is the problem with a lot of the bills is recognizing a child as a person before they're born and treating the child as though it has, or the unborn child, as though it has a life separate from its mother before it's born. And scientifically, we know that that's just not right. Well, before we look at that, though, just a, a quick sort of theological diversion here, because we, you know, we said in the last show that that the concept of, uh, you know, the the as soon as the sperm and the egg unite the soul, the immortal soul enters. That's a very Roman Catholic theological concept. It's not prevalent within Protestantism. Uh, you know, Seventh-day Adventists are quite clear that uh, there is no such thing as an immortal soul. In the book of Genesis, in the Hebrew, God formed man from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life, and man became a living soul, to quote the King James. So, you know, we kind of have this formula where you have the material, the physical dust, if you will, plus the life force, the breath, combined to make a person, a soul. And so, you know, that would suggest a very different approach, not an approach that denies the value or the humanity or the sanctity of the unborn life, but certainly not having an immortal soul. Yeah, and it differentiates between what Protestants believe and what Catholics believe. But it seems as though Protestants have 
picked up an understanding that is very Catholic in its theology and applied it incorrectly to their Protestant beliefs. And for Baptists who have long championed the separation of church and state, the notion of pushing their theological views as public policy and as a coercive law is absolutely anathema to the tradition, to the Baptist tradition. It's quite remarkable, the reversal that we've seen. Definitely. The Baptists originally believed that the Roe versus Wade decision was a a great, I don't know, articulation of the division between church and state, between personal morality and state regulation, and then even between just your personal choice and your individual moral behavior. And the question is, should the Constitution or should laws in this land be used to control moral behavior? We have, throughout the history of our nation, since we've been a nation, kind of said, no, we, we don't think that laws should control moral behavior. So are we reneging on that? And are we saying, yeah, we want our laws to control our moral behavior? Okay, so Amira, I can very quickly hear my conservative Facebook friend saying, you're forgetting something, Amira, you're forgetting something, Alan. Abortion is murder. And yes, we do outlaw murder. That's a pretty clear, you know, pretty clear issue to so many people. Um, in the last show, I pointed out that restricting abortion actually increases the number of abortions. So if we're really concerned about protecting the life of the unborn, if we really are pro-life, to me, one of the key elements has to be our policy concerning contraception. You know, let's make sure that unwanted pregnancies don't occur. Let's reduce the incidence of unwanted pregnancies. That would be kind of a no-brainer, wouldn't it? But, of course, the Roman Catholic theology is no on contraception. No on contraception, no on abortion, no on late-term ending of pregnancies because of medical reasons. You know, it's no, no, no for the Catholic Church, and that's fine for Catholics. But don't impose your religious beliefs upon people who don't believe. Within Judaism, Judaism has a very different approach to that of Roman Catholicism. And probably, you know, I'm not an expert in Jewish law, but it probably runs the gamut from conservative, you know, to fairly orthodox understandings. But again, within Judaism, the life of the mother is always held higher than the life of an unborn child because they don't even consider that child to be, you know, a human being or have personhood, I should say. I have to be careful with all these different terminologies that people use um, until the child is born. And then that unborn child becomes a person. So, I know that Judaism looks at, I believe it's Exodus 21, I want to say 21, 22, I may have the numbers reversed, um, where the penalty when there is an altercation and a pregnant woman miscarries as a result. 
it's not listed in the capital offenses. Uh, the damage to the unborn is treated differently than killing somebody who's born. And they extrapolate from that a different status for the unborn, which has been preserved, frankly, in Western law for thousands of years. It's only with the current push that there's an effort to start extending additional rights and status to the unborn. You're right. And you're right on the punishment to people that, that cause the miscarriages. There's, there's no punishment because, again, of the way Jewish law views unborn children. So I always like to look at what the Jewish tradition is, since it seems to be the oldest religion in the world, and go back to the Bible and that tradition there. And I'm not seeing, as I look through those established religious understandings, I don't see the Catholic perspective in any of that. And it's very worrying to me because I believe in the separation of church and state. I believe in individual freedom. I don't believe that God forces himself upon us. And I don't believe that we should force our personal religious beliefs upon other people. And it's interesting because when you get the politicians who are in favor of the abortion bills that are restrictive, they will talk about genocide that has happened. They specifically talk about it in the Alabama bill that just got passed. And they'll talk about all the people that were killed during World War One and Two and subsequent wars. They never talk about their basic reason for being opposed to abortion, which is religious. They talk about... Amira, I'm going to have to cut us off there. We could do show after show about this topic, and maybe we'll revisit it again as the culture war heats up and continues. But we're out of time. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.